I think it's kind of obvious by uh, tradition that what the church wants me to do today is to preach to you about today's gospel, the story of the Good Samaritan. But what I'm going to do is begin with today's second reading uh, from the letter of St. Paul to the Colossians and speak about that and then go back to the first reading in the gospel for the general theme of today's uh, scriptures for preaching. The second reading is referred to by scripture scholars as the hymn to the cosmic Christ. The hymn, the song of St. Paul to the cosmic Christ. To the Christ who is the Lord, not only of us as individuals, but of the whole cosmos of the universe. And I think it's important for us if we want to be fully Christian to understand as much about the Holy Trinity as we can, because that the mystery of the Holy Trinity is the foundational mystery of what it means to be a Christian. It's what distinguishes us from all other world religions, including Judaism, from which we came. So let's look at this reading and, and try to understand how it helps us to understand the mystery of the Trinity. Now, the mystery of the Trinity is articulated simply, but it's a complicated notion. Uh, we believe as Christians that God is one God and at the same time three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God, three distinct persons. And today's second reading from the letter to the Colossians is about the second person of the Trinity before he became a man. We believe in the course of our salvation history, the second person of the Trinity took on our human nature, became a man known as Jesus of Nazareth, and became the savior of the world. But the son who became Jesus the man has existed in God through all eternity from before time. So with that in mind, let's look at this reading. St. Paul says, Christ Jesus is the image of the invisible God. That means we can look on the face of Jesus and understand what God is like. The word that's used in Greek is the, is the word icon. We use that in terms of religious pictures. So St. Paul is saying Jesus is the picture of the invisible God, something that we can see. The firstborn of all creation. Now to understand that, we have to understand the Jewish notion of the firstborn. It had a time sense, but it also had a deeper sense. The firstborn is the firstborn son of a family, the one who was born first, right? But also among the Jews, the firstborn was the one who inherited all the possessions of the family. Generally, in our time, we divide up the will to include everybody, right? But that's not the way it was done back in those days. The firstborn was the head of the family after the death of the father and was the one who inherited everything. So when St. Paul says that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation, he's saying that he existed before everything else 
but also is the one who possesses the world that God has created, that it was created for him. So you start to understand the place of Jesus in God's plan of creation. And he goes on to say more. For in him were created all things in the heavens and on the earth. All things, not just us, but everything. In the heavens, that means all of those planets and stars and galaxies, the whole universe. All of it were create, was created in him. The visible and the invisible. All things were created through him and for him. So God the Father used the instrumentality of Jesus to create everything in the universe, and he created it for the Son. So you and I were created as a gift of God the Father for the Son. He is before all things. In him, all things hold together. You know, the universe is hugely complex, but the center that holds it together is the second person of the Holy Trinity for whom the universe was created, according to St. Paul. So you understand Jesus' relationship with the universe and the world around us. He is at the center, he's the reason for it all, and he's the goal towards which everything is headed, right? So Jesus is at the central point of creation. Then St. Paul goes on to say this, he is also the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. What St. Paul is saying here, not only is Jesus the firstborn of all creation, but all of us who follow after him will also rise from the dead because he's the firstborn, but the rest of us are his sons and his daughters, his brothers and his sisters, who also will rise from the dead. In him, the fullness was pleased to dwell. You know, the fullness of God dwelt, dwells in Jesus when, when the second person of the Holy Trinity became a man. He didn't leave God behind, but bring, brought his, his nature, you know, he's the second person of the Holy Trinity, into his human nature. And through him, to reconcile, re reconcile all things for him, making peace, by the blood of the cross. In other words, Jesus is the beginning and end of everything. And it's important for us to understand that so we understand our relationship with Jesus and also our relationship with God and the rest of creation and to have confidence in it. You know, if this is true and we believe it to be true, then we can have confidence in the history of the world and the history of salvation because Jesus is at the center and is the goal of everything. So that's really important and beautiful. I hope you um, take a look at this reading later this week or throughout the week in order to make it part of your personal spirituality. Now let's look at the rest of today's readings because there's a common theme between the first reading and today's gospel. Our first reading is from the book of Deuteronomy. And that book of the Old Testament, part of the Torah, the, the five books of the Bible that are central to Judaism, is the book of the Old Testament that is quoted most by Jesus. 
Jesus quotes from the book of Deuteronomy more than from any other book of the Old Testament. So it's very important. And what this passage is about is, is about our relationship to God's law. Unfortunately, many of us have the wrong understanding of God's law. We think it's a list of rules that God wants us to follow or else we're going to suffer. We're gonna to go to hell or something like that if we don't follow the rules. But that's not the understanding of the scriptures. You know, we're supposed to follow the law, but the reason we're supposed to follow the law is because it leads to our happiness. In other words, the law is a roadmap to what make hum makes human beings happy. And if we don't follow the law, we're going to end up sad and empty. Our lives won't be fulfilled. And so that's what this reading is about. The law isn't something outside of ourselves that we have to look at and try to understand and follow, but it's something that's very much a part of who we are as God's creation, as who we are as human beings. Now with that in mind, let's listen to what Moses says to the people and says to us today. He begins by saying, if only you would heed the voice of the Lord your God. It's gonna make you happy, so you ought to pay attention to what God is saying. Return to the Lord your God with your whole heart and your soul. In other words, don't just return because it's a law, but return to the Lord your God with who you are at the depth of your being, at the core of who you are. Return to the Lord at that level. For this command that I enjoin on you today is not something too mysterious and remote for you. And he uses that example of you know, being way off into the, into the heavens and how are we gonna follow it? Who's gonna go up and find it so that we can follow it? He says, it's not mysterious or remote from you. He says, it's not long way, way off, like across the ocean, as you can't understand it. He goes on to say, no, it is something very near to you, already in your mouths and in your hearts. You have only to carry it out. In other words, there's something inside us that is intuitively aligned with the plan of God. And it's, it's obvious from that second reading, if God created all things in and for Jesus, that he created us with a pattern that is in and for Jesus. And so the law of God is part of our creation, part of who we are. And we just have to think and experience deeply and find silence in our life to reflect on our purpose in order for us to understand and desire to follow the law of God. So have you ever done that? Have you ever sat down, let's say, in church in the presence of God and asked the Lord to help you understand yourself so that you might give yourself wholly to him by following his law, which is written already on your heart and on your tongue. That's what Christians should do. You know, we should ask the Lord to reveal himself to us in ourselves. And the problem isn't that we can't know it. The problem is that we don't do it. And that's what um, Moses says at the end of this reading, which we'll hear Jesus say a couple times in today's gospel. Moses says at the end of here, you have only to carry it out. 
And that leads us into today's gospel, which is that famous story of the Good Samaritan from the Gospel of St. Luke. So here's the way the story goes. In St. Luke's gospel, the scholars were, I think in every case, aligned against Jesus. Those who thought they knew something theologically opposed him. And so we have here one of the scholars of the law stood up to test Jesus. And he said to him, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, can you imagine a more important question than that? I mean, that is a central question of human existence. What do I need to do to inherit a relationship with God? It's a good question. And Jesus said to him, knowing that he was a scholar of the law, of the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, we heard a passage from Deuteronomy as our first reading today. Jesus said to him, well, what does the law say? And the scholar gave the right answer. He quoted the Shema, which was a prayer that the Jewish people prayed twice a day, every day. And this is how it goes. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your being, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And your neighbor as yourself. That second part, your neighbor as yourself, comes from another book of the law, the book of Leviticus. And Jesus was pleased with this answer, and he said to him in response, you have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. That phrase, do this, is so important. It's gonna come back again at the end of this reading. That's what Moses said at the end of that first reading from Deuteronomy. But because he was a hypocrite and was really answering, asking this question to trick Jesus, not because he wanted the real answer, it says in order to justify himself, he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied with a story, which is the story of the Good Samaritan. Now, it's great to have a priest and a deacon in church with me as we look at this reading because they're gonna be the bad guys. Here they are sitting in the front in the chairs of honor and they're the ones who mess it up. Okay, so Jesus tells this story. A man fell victim to robbers as he went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now the Jews were required to go to Jerusalem for the feasts and Jerusalem's on a mountain, Mount Zion, and it's a 17 mile trip downhill from Jerusalem to Jericho. And I guess that was a place where there were lots of robbers. And I imagine this was a Jewish man who had been in Jerusalem for one of the feasts. And on the way back home, passing through Jericho, he was beset by robbers. It says they stripped him and beat him and went off leaving him half dead along the side of the road. And here comes the priest. A priest happened to be going down that road. He was probably in Jerusalem as part of the feast as well, offering his services in the temple. But when he saw the man on the side of the road, he passed on the opposite side. 
Likewise, a Levite, the deacons in our church today, serve in the same capacity in the New Testament that the Levites served in the Old Testament. Likewise, a deacon came to the place, and when he saw him, he passed by on the opposite side. Now, we shouldn't feel that these are bad guys, because I think you would probably do the same thing. And let's say it was your daughter who was by herself and she was on a dangerous trip. If she was full of the love of Jesus, would you want her to stop and help somebody on the side of the road? Wouldn't it be more prudent if she went to the next town and called 911 and asked the police to help, you know? I mean, these, these guys, this deacon and this priest, this priest and this Levite, could have had very good reasons not to stop. They were concerned about personal safety, let's say. So let's not judge them too harshly. But then here's the, the, the kernel of the story. You know the relationship of the Jews to the Samaritans. We've heard about that many times. The Samaritans were half Jews and half pagan. They didn't worship in Jerusalem. They worship in another place. They had their own interpretation of the law. They were in some sense perceived by the Jewish people as their enemies. It would be like us talking about a terrorist let's say, from one of the countries that doesn't like the United States, right? And Jesus says, well, this terrorist who doesn't like your country, he's the one who actually followed the law of God. And he put it this way. A Samaritan traveler who came upon him was moved with compassion at the sight. Uh, the word that's used in Greek is moved in the depths of his being. He was deeply touched by the situation of this man. He approached the victim, poured oil and wine over his wounds. You know, wine um, is antiseptic in some ways. It's like it's alcohol. And oil soothes. We use oil in ointments all the time today. And bandaged them. Then he lifted him up on his own animal. He was probably riding a donkey. And instead of riding the donkey himself, he put this poor man on the donkey, took him to an inn, and cared for him. And he stayed overnight. So he spent two days caring for this stranger. The next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. So uh, the silver coins were a day's wages. So think of taking two of your daily wages, let's say you make $100 a day, make $500 a week, you give two of the day's wages to the care of a stranger. He, he gave the silver coins to the innkeeper with the instruction, take care of him. If you spend more than what I have given you, I shall repay you on my way back. What do you think of that? This is extraordinary, uh, astonishing kind of generosity. And then Jesus says to the scholar of the law, which of these three, in your opinion, was neighbor to the robber's victim? Jesus replied, I mean, the, 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 the scholar replied, the one who treated him with mercy. And Jesus says in response, go and do the same. Now, as I was preparing my homily this week, I ran across a passage 
from Martin Luther King, which I think is a wonderful interpretation of this gospel passage. This is what Martin Luther King said. I imagine the first question the priest and the Levite asked was, if I stop to help him, what will happen to me? But by the very nature of his concern, the Good Samaritan reversed the question. If I do not stop to help this man, what will happen to him? You know, the priest and the Levite were concerned more about themselves than about the victim. And what makes the generosity of the Samaritan an example or symbol of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus was that he thought about the other before he thought about himself. And we're invited by this gospel to do the same, to be women and men who love others more than we love ourselves. It begins with our families. Wives, you have to love your husbands more than yourself. And husbands, you have to love your wives more than yourselves. And parents, you have to love your children more than you love yourselves. And children, you have to love your parents and your sisters and brothers more than you love yourselves. And I, as the bishop, have to love the people of the church more than I love myself. And that's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And Jesus has written this in our hearts. If we look hard enough, we'll find it. And that's why mothers so naturally love their children in that kind of way, right? We expect our mothers to love us more than they love themselves. I know that's not politically correct today. You know, we're all supposed to love ourselves more than anything else, but that's not the Christian way. And it's not just the way of mothers, it's also the way of fathers and husbands, not just the way of wives, not just the way of parents, but the way of children, the way of all of us, to love as Jesus did. Now, I had a family visiting me this weekend from Colorado, where I used to be bishop, and uh, they have seven children between the ages of six months and nine years. They just had a pair of twins, twin girls that were born six months ago. And they came to see me. Now, I wouldn't do that, you know. <laughs> it's really hard to imagine a road trip with seven kids that age, right? That's a pretty tough thing to do. And the reason they came to see me is back when they first got married, uh, they were having troubles and I helped them find a counselor and it worked out and they have a wonderful marriage. And they just wanted to tell me they were celebrating their 10th anniversary and the way they decided to do that was to come and see me. That was a great privilege for me and a, an honor that they thought that. But it was great, a great gift because I've never in recent years seen extraordinary love like I saw in this couple for their children and even in their children for one another. Uh, their oldest son, his name was Thomas, uh, his dad told me that Thomas naturally will give away whatever he has to his sisters and brothers before he claims it for himself. Not all the kids do that, but Thomas does. You know, he somehow has touched something within him that has made him that kind of generous person. And the extraordinary care of the parents for their children and their children for the parents and one another, which is extraordinary. And they actually were extraordinary in their care for me, right? To 
travel all that way with all those kids. I wouldn't have done that. I just would not have done that. But it was an example to me of the concrete uh, reality of discipleship that Jesus invites us to in today's gospel. So, my dear brothers and sisters, get busy. You know, learn to love like that. And you'll find it very rewarding because God has wired you to love that way. And if you wire yourself after the fashion that God has planned, you will be very, very happy. May God bring to completion the good things he begins in us again this Sunday.